Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. A reading from Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astonished. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, scattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God. God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go round her, count her towers, consider well her reports, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And I'll pray for Jez as he comes. Father God, thank you uh, for the sun and the great weather that we've had. Father, I pray for Jez as he speaks your word. I pray that he communicates clearly and that he uh, says what you're trying to say to us, Father. And I pray for each of us that we have ears to hear and we have a heart that's soft and and, um, hears what you're trying to say to us today. Father, thank you, um, yeah, that you're speaking. Uh, In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Connor. Good afternoon, everybody. If you've not met me before, my name's Jez. I've lived in Dublin for about the last two years with my wife, Sharon, and my son, Josiah. And it's wonderful to be with you here this sunny Sunday afternoon. Now, one of my favorite writers is a chap called Jeremiah Burroughs, who wrote in the 17th century. And he wrote about a traveler. He was telling a story. And he wrote about a traveler who'd been unavoidably away from home for many years on a long journey, but now it was time for this traveller to come back. And it was a journey of many months in the 17th century. Of course, travel was slow. Communication over long distances was pretty much non-existent. And so this guy was spending months getting closer and closer and closer to home. And just as he's getting close to home, he stays in a series of guest houses, just as he's almost there. And the writer, Burroughs, asks a few questions. He says, do you think that this traveller is going to be deeply upset if a guest house, three nights away from his house, doesn't have decoration quite to his his taste? Is this traveller going to be really annoyed if two nights out from being back at home with his family for the first time in years, one of his favourite dishes isn't available at breakfast? What if one night out from finally being reunited with his wife and sleeping in his own bed for the first time in years, he's in a room in a guest house that's just a little bit smaller than he'd like. Would he be annoyed and angry and discontented because of those things? And Burroughs says, no, of course he wouldn't be. He knows 
his destination. He's no, he knows he's on the verge of finally being back, finally being reunited, finally being back in his home where he belongs. And that puts all of the inconveniences and all of the ups and downs of this journey there into context. And I think the point is a pretty obvious one, isn't it? If you're following Jesus, if you're a Christian, you're on a journey. And life is short, isn't it? You wouldn't believe it, but I'm already 35. I know, I don't look a day over 34. (laughs) I'm 35 years old, and that's gone in a flash. Life is short, and eternity is long. And if you're following Jesus, you're on a journey. And Paul, the apostle, writes in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Ultimately, our home, if we're following Jesus, is not in the here and now, but it's to be with God eternally. Christians are a people headed home like that traveller, and there are people for whom the best is yet to come. We await our inheritance. Paul writes elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into our hearts what God has prepared for those who love him. Christians are on a journey. But we can easily lose sight of that, can't we? We can easily forget who we are and where we're going And we can allow the ups and downs of that journey to be the source of our contentment and to rob us of contentment. And in fact, that's been my experience this week. It's been a challenging week for various reasons. And I've found it's robbed me of my contentment. And it's been difficult to look to God and be content in knowing where I'm going when the ups and downs of this life have been quite challenging. And maybe you can identify with that. The circumstances of this life, family, job, successes or lack of them, finances, friendships, experiences, travel opportunities, all these different things can become the most important things to us in the world, can't we? But if we're following Jesus, like for that traveller in the story, those things should be seen in proportion. Our joy shouldn't flow from the circumstances, from the ups and downs of this life, but from where we're ultimately going and from the God who's drawing us there. So my hope today is that we'll be able to lift our eyes and remind ourselves of our destination and of who's taking us there. So if you have your Bible, open it please to Psalm 48. I hope you'll keep that open because we'll be looking at it over the coming minutes. And if you glance down in your Bible, you'll see it's a song. The introduction to verse 48 says, uh, Psalm 48 says, it's a song. And it's written by the sons of Korah, Who were they? They were a music group, maybe a bit like our music group today. Shout out to Jess, Dan and Margaret for leading us so well. They were a music group who led the music of the temple in Jerusalem and they liked to write songs as well. They were kind of Hillsong of their day, (laughs) if you like. Oh, okay, people like Hillsong. And Psalm 48 is one of those psalms, probably you noticed as Connor was reading it, that focuses on the city of Jerusalem and actually... Maybe even as you were reading about Jerusalem, you're thinking of what's happening in the news at the moment. And I think we just need to acknowledge the instability and violence that's happening in Jerusalem, in the Gaza Strip and beyond. And I'm sure we'd all join in praying for peace there. But today we're casting our minds back 3,000 years and looking at this psalm. And it's centered in the biblical kingdom of Israel. And the city of Jerusalem had a very special place in that kingdom. Uh, It had a central place in the identity of the people of Israel. 
In fact, if you were to read your Bible from page one and page two in the book of Genesis, you'd see that from very early on, God was creating a people to dwell with him. In fact, you could say that the big story of the Bible is the gathering of God's people into God's place under God's rule. And the very existence of the city of Jerusalem showed to the Israelites that God's promises had been kept and that that had been accomplished after years of slavery in Egypt, 400 years, after years of wandering in the desert, after many battles with their enemies, here they were, God's people in God's place under God's rule. The existence of Jerusalem showed that God kept his promises that he was delivering. And so this city of Jerusalem was a symbol of the presence and protection of God, a very fitting theme for a psalm, uh, a song of praise to him. So let's look down at what it says. Verse 1 says this, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. So we can notice two things from those verses. Firstly, God is great. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. There's a great God. And secondly, the place he lives, this city, is holy. Notice what else it says. It's beautiful. It's the joy of the whole earth. So there's a great God living in a beautiful, holy, joy-giving place with his people. And then in verse 3, glance down again, it says this. God is in her citadels, her castles. He's shown himself to be her fortress. So here the psalmists are making the point that it isn't the walls, it isn't the towers around the city that are keeping it safe, but it's God himself. He has shown himself to be her fortress. There's a great hymn I love from the uh, period of the Reformation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And that's a kind of summary of what the psalmists here are saying. A mighty fortress is our God. He's the one who's protecting Jerusalem. So there's a great God in a beautiful, holy, joy-giving city, and he's the defender of that city. And if you look down again, verses 4 to 7, you can see this has been put to the test. Verses 4 to 7 tell of an attack by a coalition of enemy kings gathering to fight with Jerusalem. And they tell of a great deliverance as well. These kings joined forces and advanced, but God shattered them. It's a vivid image. Like an east wind at the sea, he shattered them. So this great God has defended his holy city. And then verse 8 is a kind of conclusion of this first half of the psalm. And it says, As we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. And I think to catch hold of the emotion of this psalm a little bit, we should think about its context. Probably this psalm was written to be sung during one of the pilgrimages to Jerusalem that happened three times a year. So you can imagine the people traveling from all over the kingdom of Israel, coming up to Jerusalem. Here they were, they weren't often in the big city. They were seeing its towers, they were seeing the temple, they were seeing the royal palace. And they were singing of the great God whilst they were there. And you can imagine them all joining in song and singing. Uh, singing verse 8, As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of our God. God makes her secure forever. 
they were seeing it and they would praise God as a result. And it sounds good, doesn't it? A place where God dwells, a place where he defends his people, a place of security and contentment. And don't we need that? Maybe you can think of things that are shaking your life, of things that are challenging you, things that are robbing your contentment, and you think, yes, that sounds good, a place where God is is watching over his people and granting them contentment. But there's a problem, and possibly it's one that's occurred to a lot of you. This psalm has been singing the praises and security of the earthly city of Jerusalem, but of course, that earthly city wasn't always secure, was it? The Babylonians at one point destroyed the city about 588 BC or so. They razed the temple to the ground. They took all of its artifacts to the temples of their gods in Babylon. They took many of the people captive. The city was rubble. It came to be rebuilt, but it was destroyed by the Romans again, AD 70. And in the centuries since and up to the present day, it's often been a place of conflict and tragedy, hasn't it? So there's a problem in a sense. How do we understand this psalm? Because if we look at the earthly Jerusalem, it seems like it hasn't been made secure forever. So we need to stand back and uh, ask ourselves how this psalm makes sense. And it makes sense if we take a step back from Psalm 48 and look at the storyline of the whole Bible. Because we know, don't we, that everything we read in the Old Testament was pointing forward to what was to come. It was a foreshadowing of greater things that we, from our perspective, can read about in the pages of the New Testament. And if you have your Bible, skip right the way forward, please, to the final book, the book of Revelation and chapter 21. And in Revelation chapter 21, John, the apostle, he's a prisoner on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean, and God gives him a vision of the end of all things and of how Jesus will ultimately have the victory, and everyone will recognize him. And he, he's given this vision of, uh, of, of what the end will be like. And in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So Psalm 48 was ultimately pointing forward to a perfect, eternal city where this security where the presence of God, where the protection of his people would be perfectly realised. And how could this come about? How could we get to a point of God living with his people forever in this new heavenly Jerusalem? Well, it's because Jesus rode into that earthly Jerusalem humbly on a donkey. There, the great God of the city allowed himself to be arrested, to be put on trial, to be tortured, to be crucified, to be buried so that anyone who trusts in him wouldn't have to be locked out of the city and shattered like those kings who'd come up against it, but so that they could know security in the eternal, secure, heavenly Jerusalem. Because of the work God did in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a future 
secure for all who trust in him. So we're on a journey, aren't we? Followers of Jesus, we're on a journey, a journey which has its destination in that vision that the Apostle John saw in a place of eternal security where God dwells with his people in his place, with them under his rule. And how does that help us live today? That's all well and good, isn't it? It's a wonderful vision, it's a wonderful hope, but we need to know how to make it real in our hearts today. And actually, that's been my challenge this week. How can this be real in my life? How can these things I believe make an impact in the day today? And this psalm gives us a number of helpful pointers to translate this hope we have of a future into practical living that can help us on Monday morning and beyond. And there are just two things I want to draw out. Firstly, meditate on God. Meditate on God. Look down with me at verse 9, please. And it says this. Verse 9. Within your temple, O God... We meditate on your unfailing love. This isn't an emptying of the mind in some kind of Eastern mystic way. This is a filling of the mind with truth about God. That's what meditation means in the biblical sense. And then if you look at verse 12, you'll see that the psalmist write this. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View Her citadels. In our English translation, that's five active verbs, five doing words that are all about considering, thinking about, noticing, mulling over details of the city. And so we need to be active in thinking about the things of God. We need to make some effort about it. We need to not just expect it will happen to us. We need to be proactive in it. And going back to verse 9, I just want us to notice They say, within your temple, we meditate on your unfailing love. And I think it's wonderful, isn't it, that God has given us one another in the church to help point one another to God. Here we are gathered on a Sunday to come together, to sing, to pray, to be with each other, to hear God's words preached, to respond in a few minutes by taking bread and wine and remembering of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming back. And we can do that together. And isn't that a wonderful encouragement? Within your temple, we meditate on your unfailing love. And we have wonderful opportunity as well in our city groups, in our summer socials tomorrow, in Herbert Park over a board game, in small groups, in our friendships with others in the church to point one another to Jesus, to help one another think about God's unfailing love. And actually for me, in the midst of this difficult last week, getting together with a few Christian brothers one night was a huge encouragement to spend some time together, to study the Bible together, to pray for one another. And that spurred me on. And that allowed a little bit of contentment to break in as I was reminded of the things I believed. So let's invest in being with one another. Let's meditate together on God's unfailing love And God's given us a wonderful privilege, hasn't he, also, of Bibles in our own language. We have a great opportunity day by day to be coming to God, to be reading something, to be thinking over it, to be letting God shape us through it. And if you're new to that, if you're unfamiliar to it, ask someone you've come with. Ask someone else here 
how you can get going with reading the Bible and meditating on God's unfailing love day by day. Or if you're more experienced in it, why not set yourself a challenge to go a bit deeper? Maybe you've never read the whole Bible and there's a a lot of reading plans out there that can help you over the course of a year or two years to go through the whole Bible and see the story from beginning to end. Let's meditate on God's unfailing love day by day through the Bible. And notice also verse 11. Glance down at this. Another way of meditating. Verse 11 says this. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. And we should remember that this psalm was a song. And I think rejoicing speaks very much of singing to me. When I feel happy, when I'm rejoicing, I want to burst out in song. And maybe you can identify with that a little bit. And God has given us singing as a wonderful means of meditating on his love throughout the week. And isn't it wonderful to come together like this, to be led in music, to sing praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Doesn't that warm your heart if you're following Jesus? And day by day, why not be finding good songs or hymns or even like Christians over many centuries singing the Psalms themselves and connecting with God in that and allowing that to be a means of meditating on God's love. And do it with other Christians. Actually, many of my most precious memories are of singing with other Christians in different places around the world. For those of us who went away on the church weekend away in County Westmeath in May, I'm sure you loved, as I did, singing together there. Something when Christians get together, they like to sing together. Or I cast my mind back to being at university in Aberystwyth in Wales, and we would sometimes of an evening gather on a little jetty, going out into the sea, and we'd just sing God's praises together. And occasionally someone else from the Christian Union or the church would be walking past, they'd hear us, they'd come join us, so the group would grow and grow. And it was just wonderful to be singing of God's love together there. So Mount Zion rejoices. Make use of God's gift of song. Make use of the Bible. Make use of one another in the church to meditate on God's love. And these are all means of allowing the truths that we believe, the destination that we have, the identity we have as citizens of heaven to break through and allow us to know contentment in the midst of the ups and downs of challenging circumstances. And As I said this week, that's been my experience, not in full, but in part in the challenges. Actually, I uh, got COVID two weeks ago, so I had to self-isolate for an extended period. Had to miss a trip. I planned to uh, England to see my family. I may have lost a lot of money on very expensive last-minute flights. All of those things were getting me down. Having to work from home, missing a series of interesting and engaging work events, just staring at the screen in the spare room all day. Those things got me down. They got me down. But through being with one another, through singing, through thinking of God, chewing on the Bible, shafts of contentment came into my soul. And I pray that I would know that more and more as I meditate on God's unfailing love. And I pray that you also, whatever your circumstances are, through meditating on God's unfailing love, would know more and more a contentment that's based on the hope of where you're going and the God who's drawing you there rather than the ups and downs and challenges of this changing life. So, a citizen 
of heaven meditates on God. And secondly, and finally, a citizen of heaven tells others about God. A citizen of heaven tells others about God. So glance with me at verse 13. Verse 13. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels. That means notice the different buildings in this city of Jerusalem that you may tell of them to the next generation. Think again, these pilgrims that come up to Jerusalem and the psalm was encouraging them not to just keep these things they'd seen to themselves, but perhaps when they go home, to tell of them to those who weren't able to come, to tell of others in their family, the young children maybe, the wider family, those in their villages and towns about what they'd seen and to point them to God. So tell of them to the next generation. How does that apply to us? Well, I think there's a, there's a next generation we can think about in a literal sense. And people with children have a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful responsibility to be sharing of the unfailing love of God with their children, don't they? In reading the Bible with them, in praying with them, in singing with them, in showing the love of God to them. And that's a wonderful opportunity and can be a huge blessing uh, in homes where that happens. And if that's something that hasn't been a feature uh, in your home, why not ask another family? How do they go about it? What could it look like to be doing that in your home? And surely it will be a huge blessing as you pass on the truth of God to the next generation. And we thank God as well that it's a, it's a bigger call than that. And we're grateful for people in our church who are working full-time with students and working with young people and seeking to tell those generations about God. And we're grateful for you and we thank God for you and we stand with everyone who's doing that. And all of us, in a sense, have an opportunity to bring in generations outside the church to know the wonderful truths of the unfailing love of God. We heard about the uh, plant of the new congregation a moment ago from Steve, and we've got a wonderful opportunity, those who are staying here, those who are going to the new congregation, to be looking for opportunities to draw others in there, to be taking the opportunity of the uh, national uh, campaign, What's the Story, to invite someone along. I know it's not always easy, but be thinking about who those people could be that you might be able to invite. Be praying about them. I'm starting to think about it. I'm starting to pray. I've got a little list in mind of people who I'm going to invite. Why not be thinking about that? We have a wonderful opportunity to be sharing to generations out there about the unfailing love of God. And it might be even that there's someone here today or some people here today who, as you've been hearing about this, feel like you're more on the outside, that you couldn't say with confidence that you're following Jesus, that you couldn't say with confidence that you're heading for that eternal new Jerusalem where God will dwell with his people forever. Maybe God is challenging you. Maybe he's speaking to your heart and saying that now is the time to draw near to him. Now is the time to trust in Jesus and start living for him and accept God's unfailing love and the security of an unshakable, eternal contentment based not on your circumstances, but based on God. And if that's you today, well, later we're going to have an opportunity to come forward and pray with people, and we'd encourage you very much. Make the most of that opportunity. If God is challenging you to commit to him today, come and pray later. Or maybe God is speaking to you about some compromise in your life or some distraction. We know living here, don't we, there's a 
world of social media, of news, of day-to-day life that can clog our systems completely in a way. And maybe we've got distracted and we need to refocus and recommit. Feel free to come also later and pray with someone if God is doing business with you. Well, finally, one more verse in this psalm that we haven't read. The final verse, verse 14. The psalmist writes this. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. So as we go into this week full of pressure and uncertainty, full of distraction, I pray that all of us would be looking to the eternal God. All of us would be finding our contentment more and more in the place we're going to, in the hope we have of a secure future with God and not in the changing ups and downs of this life. And if you fail, like I did over the past week many times, don't be discouraged. God is our God, as it says in verse 14, forever and ever. He will be our guide, even to the end. So let me pray. We'll invite the band up. And why don't we stand already as the band prepare to lead us in singing. Let's pray. God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for what we've read and what we've heard today, that you are the great God. Your city is a city of beauty, of holiness, of joy for the whole earth. And we pray for all of us, whether we are in the city, so to speak, whether we have a hope of being eternally in the city with you, or whether we're on the outside, we pray you would draw us closer to yourself. We pray day by day in the midst of the challenges of life as we leave this place, as we go back to our normal lives, we pray you would help us to remember these things. We pray you'd help us to find our contentment more and more in hoping in you, the eternal God, who will be our guide even to the end and who keeps his city secure forever and not putting our trust in the things around us in our ever-changing circumstances, but in you, the eternal God. So be at work in our hearts and in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.